Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. In the last hour, we were talking about the corrosive influence or impact on our society of great wealth and how great wealth was, uh, to to some extent anyway, kept in check through the period of the 1950s, 60s, 70s by a 91% top income tax rate which uh, Reagan blew all to hell and, you know, we never got back. We haven't been above 50 percent since then, like most developed countries are on very, very wealthy people. But let's do a little deeper dive into all of this. How do we best deal with billionaires and how do we best deal with the damage they do to our economy and our politics with Professor Richard Wolff, the economist, the co-founder of democracyatwork.info. His latest book, The System is the Sickness, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. Uh, R.D. Wolf with two Fs.com is also his, one of his websites. Prof. Wolf is his Twitter handle uh, with two Fs. Professor Wolf, welcome back. Uh, how do we best deal with billionaires and uh, the damage that they do to our economy and to our politics? Well, I think we can dip into our own history. We have been a society that has always had, right from the beginning, part of our revolutionary tradition, a notion that equality in economic terms is part of what we ought to have. Poll after poll, including in the most recent months, indicates that Americans want less inequality overwhelmingly than we have. And when asked what they think we have, they underestimate how unequal it is. And that's partly because they don't want to believe that it is even possible to have the kinds of inequality that we now have. So I think we can dip into our history and look at what we did in the past. And here's a few examples of what could be done tomorrow. Number one, a proper estate tax. If you want to allow people to accumulate crazy amounts of money in their lifetime for whatever reason, okay, let's let that go for the moment. What about an inheritance tax? The basic idea always was that we ought to all start more or less on a level playing field. We shouldn't have somebody coming into the world 
scheduled to inherit billions or millions, and other people, you know, are looking to see if they can get another meal uh, within the next couple of days. And it's not fair, and it's not equal, and it's unfair, particularly to the innocent new child being born, and that a level playing field is part of the democratic tradition, etc., etc. And on that basis, you really tax inheritance. We used to do that in the United States up until relatively recently when we dropped both informally with all the escape clauses, but even the formal rates have been cut drastically. So I believe it's now about 11 or 12 million dollars that you can leave to your children before any federal tax uh, applies to it. And for historical context, it was the Republican President Teddy Roosevelt who campaigned for this and I believe started the, the inheritance tax. Am I remembering that correctly? Well, you got me there. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm not surprised that there have been people throughout American history. There are also state inheritance taxes where you can see the same idea at play across the 50 states since they also have estate taxes that they apply, inheritance taxes. So that's one. Here's another one. In World Wars I and II, we had what was called an excess profits tax. If you were making money during those wars as an American, at the same time that your fellow citizens were giving up their lives fighting in foreign countries, uh, presumably for the defense of the United States, the inequality between these two situations drove presidents like, for example, Franklin Roosevelt in his famous uh, speeches in 1942 and again in 1944 to say, this is unconscionable. That high tax rate you mentioned before, that came out of a whole procedure of saying we should tax people who are making money off of a war that is killing our fellow citizens because the, the, the gap between these two is unspeakable. Well, look at it now. We have the, whatever it is now, close to 300,000 people dead from COVID, while a handful of billionaires have raked in, if I understand the numbers, an excess of a growth of a trillion dollars to these a few hundred people uh, over the same period of time that has killed 300,000 of our fellow citizens, that there's something so terribly wrong there. And here's the last one. It's sort of common sense. If you took away half of the wealth, I'll pick somebody, uh, Jeffrey Bezos of Amazon. I don't have to pick on him, but he's the, the example these days. If you took away half his wealth, you taxed it for the general welfare of the society, he'd still be the richest person in the United States after you took away half, but the hundred billion you would get thereby could do dramatic uh, things for the welfare and health of millions of Americans. In fact, it's such a comment on our society, uh, Tom, that none of these people have even come forward voluntarily to propose doing this sort of thing. It gives you a notion of the of the harshness that we are descending into that I personally find scary. Yeah, Nick Hanauer is a multimillionaire, right. uh, you know, a tech investor who. Yeah, he started this group called the Patriotic Millionaires who are calling for higher taxes on millionaires and billionaires. He's been on this program a number of times along with Morris Black, I think his name is, and and a few others. It's really an extraordinary thing. I'm curious your thoughts on this. As a homeowner in the United States, and slightly over half of all Americans are homeowners, or all American families are homeowners as opposed to renters, 
and even renters are paying this indirectly. But as a homeowner, every year I write a check for several thousand dollars on my largest source of wealth, which is my home. That's worth more than anything else I have. And so I'm paying a wealth tax every year, every single year. And it's not a small tax. It's, you know, four or five percent of the value of my home, essentially, or whatever, however they calculate it. It's huge. But if I, instead of having my home, my largest store of wealth was my money bin, you know, it was, it was uh, you know, a billion dollars in a mutual fund, I pay no tax at all on that, you know, unless I decide to take money out of it. Shouldn't we have a wealth tax for millionaires and billionaires that is similar to the wealth tax that, you know, the majority of American families pay in the United States? Absolutely. The confusion around this really blows my mind. Let's go back to your house. If you have a house, you pay a property tax on the value of the house. If you rent the house out and earn rental income, you pay an income tax. One is a tax on the value of the property. The other is a a tax on the income generated by the property. If you sell your house and buy an equivalent of shares of stock here in America, a very weird thing happens. You continue to have to pay income tax on the dividends and interest and capital gains you get from that stock. But on the wealth itself, no tax, no property tax. It's unspeakable that in our country we even dare call it a property tax, because it isn't. A property tax implies you tax property, but we don't. We tax property in the form of homes, of land, and of automobiles, and things like that. The glaring, screaming exemption is a tax on property in the form of stocks and bonds and cash. No wealth tax is applied by the federal government and by virtually all the states on the wealth in that form that the wealthiest among us hold the bulk of our wealth. You and I talk about our home as our big wealth, but if you're in among the 1%, then the home is not your major wealth. Stocks, bonds, portfolios, and all of that kind of thing is. And to exempt that is an unspeakable tax injustice. Time to start taxing the money bins. Professor Richard Wolf, his latest book, The Sickness is the System, or the website democracyatwork.info. Dr. Wolf, thank you so much for dropping by today. It's always great talking with you. Thank you, Tom. Dr. Enid in Vineyard Haven, Massachusetts. Hey, Dr. Enid, what's up? Hi. I don't know if you remember me, Tom. You stayed at my home about 20 years ago in Manhattan. I had behavioral arts oh at the ABB clinic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. It's nice to hear from you again. Yeah. I just love your show. I live in Martha's Vineyard and started the Lyme Center here about 13 years ago because Lyme disease is so bad. I wanted to just congratulate you so much. Obviously, the point I'm trying to make today is that I agree with everything you say. I think the trickle-down economics was a ploy and made up the story. The thing that really was upsetting to me in the 80s was when I think what Ronald Reagan did, one of the things that no one is aware of, that we used to have a pretty good health care system before Ronald Reagan. When managed care was invented and brought in by, I think Nixon came up with the idea and Reagan implemented it in the 80s, along with mm-hmm. many other things, managed care pretty much destroyed our health care system took the, the power out of the doctor's hands and put it into the insurance company and pharmaceutical company's hands. 
And people don't realize, I think, you know, I remember when I first got my social work degree in 1990, and there were no questions asked. If you needed psychotherapy and, you know, if you needed to go for a year, you were able to go for a year. That was no questions asked. That was billing right to the doctors, and I had no problem, you know, getting reimbursed in a week or two from the insurance companies, and then it changed. In 1995, when I did open behavioral arts there in Manhattan, the ADD clinic, unfortunately, I had to hire a crew to do the billing, you know, after that, because the insurance companies kept changing the codes every month and would not reimburse privately owned clinics. And people don't realize that so many clinics that were privately owned at that time went out of business because we had to close our doors at Behavioral Arts because the insurance companies owed us, you know, over $3 million. I did not think it was right to stop seeing those patients, you know, that needed to be seen just because their insurance wasn't covering them anymore. So I changed to a sliding scale. But we weren't able to keep our doors open. But I yeah, think a this, lot of people this, don't realize you know, it. It was, you know, it was Nixon who, uh, who embraced, yes. uh, you know, the changes in the law that allowed Kaiser to exist. And I'm not yes. a, a big opponent yes. of Kaiser, frankly, but, but you're yeah. right. Reagan took that to a whole new level. Didn't you join Louise and I with dinner with Juliana Moore, the actress? Yeah, she New was York a friend City. of mine. Yeah, yes. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah I remember we, it well, Enid. Thank you. Thank you for all but, your work that you do. And I'm behind you 100%. Thank you. Thank you you so much. And keep up the great work, Dr. Enid. Steve in Phoenix, Arizona. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind? I want to talk about unionism. Jack Welch, he helped bring about a lot of badness to our country because he says uh, the ideal factory is something that floats on a barge and he can move it from the cheapest country to the cheapest country. Yeah, that was one of Jack Welch's most famous statements as the president of General Electric. Exactly. Exactly. Over the years, I've worn many hats, you know. Uh, medical claims examiner, I worked for FedEx, and I worked for mutual funds. But back in 1974 through 87, I worked for a medical manufacturing device company in Madison, Wisconsin, and I was a proud member of the International Association of Machinist Aerospace Workers, the IAM. Back in 1984, when I was there, I was making 10.85 an hour. That was as a painter's helper, and at the same cost. Disneyland, we went out to see Disneyland and, and Knott's Berry Farm. We've been going out there every year since. We had people out there, our relatives. Cost to get into Disneyland was 14 bucks an hour, and so was Knott's. So you can see the progression, or the non-progression. We still got a minimum wage of 7.35 an hour, and I was making 10.85 back then. And also, one other last factoid: I believe the Playboy Mansion was the richest, the most expensive home sold for a million bucks back in the 70s or something like that. Now look what things cost. And this is all due to the dissolution of the top marginal tax rate of 91 to 74%. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, thank you, Steve. I, I, would, I would qualify that very, very slightly by saying it's not entirely due to that, but it's largely due to that. Um, we also had the problem with inflation in the 1970s and early 1980s that was the result of the, of the uh, Arab oil embargo, two of them in, in a row, in fact, you know, that, that drove up the price of commodities, you know, which is one of the reasons why there's such a big difference in what Disneyland costs then and what they cost now. But your, your analogies are just brilliant and your storyline. And thank you for helping make my point. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, 
The more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Dennison, Aptos, California. Hey, Dennis, what's on your mind today? Well, Steve from Wisconsin really kicked me off. I'm from the Santa Clara County, a.k.a. Silicon Valley, originally. And, you know, yeah, Tom Watson Jr. running IBM, Bill Hewlett and David Packard. You know, those companies grew despite the fact that there was a 91% tax rate on the presidents of those companies, Tom Watson Jr., Hewlett and Packard. And they did something called profit sharing. And they paid their workers well. And guess what? Neither of those companies ever had to have a union. Now they do, because those guys are long gone. And the people running those firms, and Hewlett Packard, I think they've been close to bankruptcy a few times. They've certainly run themselves into the ground. I have a Hewlett Packard computer, by the way. But, uh, you know, Mm. they don't pay their workers that well. And uh, who's ever running those firms, you know damn well they're, they're making uh, a lot of money because they don't have to pay such a high tax rate on, uh, those, uh, on, on that money they make. And, and regarding Elon Musk, I mean, yeah, sure, uh, he, he can become the second richest man, of, man in the world behind uh, Jeff Bezos. Uh, but just think, if he actually took a lower salary, like th- let's just say $1 million a year or $2 million a year, you know what he could do with that extra money? He actually could perhaps advertise on TV so that more people would actually buy Teslas. What do you think? It's exactly my point, Dennis. And you said it very well. And, and that was something that, you know, I should have pointed out to Steve during our conversation is that some of the most iconic companies in America came into being in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And the existing companies, the Ford Motor Companies, the GMCs and, and whatnot, grew substantially. And yeah, their CEOs had enough money to buy a couple of houses and, and live, live well and leave money to their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and provide them all with you know, a, a, a head start in life. But they didn't suck so much wealth out of the economy that, that it crippled their workers and, and, and that it crippled the economy, frankly. And, and it's, a, it, it's like, I, one of the things that shocks me, Dennis, is I try to explain this to people who are not old enough to remember what America was like before Reagan. And they literally don't believe what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you have to look in history books and you have to do some reading. I mean, I'm 66, so I didn't live in the, during the Depression like my dad did. And, you know, that's the other thing. You're, you're so right on about the investments. I mean, if you even go back to Franklin Roosevelt, 
You know, in, in, when he took over in 1933, US 101, that highway that goes through Oregon, Washington, California, most of it was was still a you know a, a two lane asphalt strip. You know, like between Los Angeles and San Francisco. By the time it was 1940, it was mostly a four lane divided highway. <laughs> and we, you know, the and money we don't have the money for that anymore. Yeah, yeah it's, exactly. it's crazy. We built our infrastructure and we built our intellectual infrastructure. Prior to Reagan, you could go to college regardless of where you were born. You know, if you could just hit the academic standards, it wasn't hard to cover. John in Kansas City, Missouri. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? The challenge on what we should do about to defund the Republicans. And I think this starts at the state level. I am sick and tired of these poor red states. I live in Missouri. Kansas is right next to me. Kansas used to be one of the, I mean, as far as uh, services for their state. Now they, they used to be one of the best. Now they're one of the poorest based on the Sam Brown back giving tax cuts. To all the businesses, now they can't fund anything. I think for a while they were only having three days of school a week. And I am so tired of these poor red states talking about affluent blue states and basically biting the hand that's feeding them. Now, one thing I would like for the Democrats to do when they pass that tax cut uh, during the, when Paul Ryan was speaker that took money from the blue states. The Democrats, I think, should come up with something. Any state that gives tax cuts to businesses and can't fund their state, they should not be getting any money from the blue states to prop them up. I, to me, that makes mm. no sense. No sense. And one other thing I wish the Democrats would do on day one, day one, we saw what Louis DeJoy did with the post office. We need to take that draconian measure that was passed by the Republicans on the post office immediately and shore them up. Shore them up. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I'm absolutely with you on that. It's 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 uh, uh, not part of this topic, but you're absolutely right. This is uh, a naked attempt. This has been going on for years and years and years. Daryl Issa has been leading the charge in Congress for two decades now um, to ruin the post office just so they can sell it to one of the big contributors to Daryl Issa and the other Republicans, presumably FedEx or possibly UPS. And uh, and and, you know, and Louis DeJoy has got his fingers in all those pots. So, yeah, I'm with you. And I love your idea, John, that, uh, you know, no more money to the red states. Uh, You know, I mean, you've got uh, Louisiana, Mississippi. I mean, these states are taking Kentucky. Kentucky takes two dollars and 40 cents from the federal government for every dollar they send to Washington, D.C. That's nuts. We should pass a law that says that if your state takes takes even one penny more than it sends to Washington, D.C., if it takes even one penny more from D.C. than it sends, then no, you can't. Basically, you can't do that. You know, no more federal money for you. It has to be a a closed loop. And if you are at one of these red deficit states, one of these taker states subsidized by the blue maker states, if you're one of these states, I love your idea that you may not offer tax breaks to the multimillionaires and billionaires in your state anymore. So, you know, exactly. the Walton family's going to have to start paying the damn taxes in, in uh, Arkansas. I'm with you. Exactly. John, brilliant. Sheila in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Hey, Sheila, what's up? What is mm-hmm. the biggest threat to our democracy? It's big corporations, like an oligarch it's money. kind of thing. Like, what? here we go. 
I differ. I say it's power. Power is the biggest threat. Money comes second. Ah. But you probably need money. You probably need money to have power. But hear, hear me out. Who financed Trump's 2016 campaign? It was the Mercers. All of these things are owned and operated by the Mercers. Breitbart. Steve Bannon and Kellyanne Conway work for the Mercers. Cambridge Analytica, they micro-targeted 200 million people on Facebook. They were responsible for Brexit. The Government Accountability Institute, where uh, Peter Schweitzer, he did the 2015 Clinton cash, destroyed her. Then in 2019, they weren't counting on a new Ukrainian uh, president, but uh, John Solomon wrote uh, Secret Empires. Uh, they were trying to destroy uh Joe Biden. This is the Mercers. That's who owns uh, the Government Accountability Institute. What about the new platform, Parler, who, that opened up in 2018? Who owns it? The Mercers. Robert and Rebecca Mercer. Who sat on the transition team and appointed all the cabinet members? It was Rebecca Mercer, okay? Um, hmm. the, the, what I'm saying is that their weapon is disinformation. So, you know, Trump is no mastermind, okay? And they are literally behind him. But until the spotlight gets put on them, now, Robert Mercer is like a hedge fund billionaire. I think he's like Asperger's. He's a, he's like a brilliant, like, I don't even know what he is. But he never speaks. But until we connect these dots, you know, Cambridge Analytica was out of St. Petersburg uh, College in Russia. Luke Oil is involved. This is what we're, you know, this is uh, how high and how powerful these people are. The fact that nobody ever puts the Mercers on blast is going to be the downfall of our democracy. They want an oligarch. That's what so what would you suggest doing about this, Sheila? I don't know. Tom, what do you suggest? (laughs) I think name and shame is a starting point, which you just did. And, you know, we all need to do more more frequently, I suppose, um, and exposing these things, publicizing them. They only want huge corporations to run the government. They before they before it was lobbyists. Now they want a seat at the Mm. table to make policy decisions. That's why ExxonMobil runs the Environmental Protection Agency. Whatever is, you know, you have you have a word like the Government Accountability Institute. It's a propaganda machine, but they give it a good name. Steve Bannon runs that. So these people yeah. are all connected. You look at QAnon. Who's behind QAnon? We don't know. I don't know. But I'm just saying, like, what's the possibility that it's not them <laughs> at this point? They're behind all the yeah. disinformation. Yeah. yeah. So, no, you I, know, I get and it. that is Sheila, power. thank you. That's power. Okay, then. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and you provided me with some really good, and I think all of us, with some really good food for thought. Thank you, Sheila. I really appreciate the call, and thanks for calling in from Philadelphia. Maurice in Chicago. Hey, Maurice, what's on your mind today? Okay, Tom, yeah, yeah. God bless you, first of all. Great show. Uh, let me say, I know you avoid compliments, but I like to say you are a genuinely decent human being. How to defund the Republican Party? Easy. 80 million angry voters. Take that anger to Chase, Citibank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America. 
take out every damn dollar you got in, all of them. You will see some quick re- quick results, quick turnaround in this country when you do it economically like that. Because this is a money-driven country. Everything hinges on money. That's an excellent suggestion, Maurice. And and uh, I'm writing these things down. Uh, move your money to credit unions. You know about credit yeah, unions, right? There you go. We got options like yeah. that. We do. Right, and keep up the good uh, work, I, I think a lot of Americans don't know it. Yeah, but, well, we got to okay. educate. Education, education, education. Always education, brother. I'm with you. Jim in San Jose. Hey, Jim, what's up? Uh, hi, I wanted to make a comment about our economic system that I think you're touching on or you, you touch on sometimes, but we need to talk about it more, I think. Obviously, the coronavirus revealed the weaknesses in our economic system. Uh, our economy has gone downhill because the demand has slowed down, right? Uh, and so we're using fewer resources, but that should be a good thing, not a problem. As long as we're getting the essential, as long as people are getting what they need, like food, and and they're able to pay the rent. So um, economists usually tell us that the way to get the economy going again is to um, get money to average people so they can create demand. And that's true, but it's not really good. Uh, we shouldn't have to consume our way out of trouble and burn up more resources. Uh, so Jim, right now, really people, that, um, right now, one in five American families cannot feed their children. We're not talking about stimulus. We're talking about survival. Right, right. Um, so um, I think we need to talk about a, a different economic system, not just tweaking or, or fixing the current economic system. Um, that's really my you know, I don't point. disagree I mean, with you, and I would love to have that debate, but it's not something that's going to happen um, in the next six months. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's not I, I agree, but either, anybody's maybe either is Medicare for all, but... Um, we at least. Well, I think I think we need to we need to more seriously regulate capitalism. We need you know take a lesson from Franklin Roosevelt and and rein in these corporate you know titans and and also t- take a lesson from Teddy Roosevelt and start breaking up some of these giant monopolies. Um, well, I guess and, I, I listened yeah. to Richard Wolf there when he says that we've done that already, and it's been undone by the Republicans. That's correct. That's correct. So, um, and I guarantee you that if we were to say tomorrow, OK, we're no longer going to have C corporations, you, you can no longer um, start a company. You've got to have every corporation has to be owned by all of its employees. Uh, I guarantee you within a week, somebody would figure out a way to get around that. Um, it's, you know, it's it, it, and, and, and so it's not I, I just think, you know, saying we're going to end capitalism is not something that is going to happen. And and I'm not even sure it's something that should happen, frankly. I think that there well, are I'm, aspects I'm, of capitalism, and Adam Smith talked about this at length in his theory of moral sentiments. There are aspects of capitalism that can be controlled and regulated to make it a less destructive system. But the idea of continuous growth, which I think is what you're talking about, the idea that consumption is the beginning and end of all things, those are not necessarily intrinsic to capitalism. Capitalism thrives when those beliefs are promoted, but they could just as easily be transplanted to an employee-owned system. This is the stuff that's affecting the entire planet. And so, you know, I think we need a little more comprehensive uh, perspective on the whole thing. Deborah in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Deborah, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's up? Biden's $10,000 relief for student loans. I know he wants to do a, an FDR type of relief, but I 
you know, and this is not, you know, political in the sense of Republican, progressive or establishment. This is just um, trying to get the, the country back on track. But I will tell you that my husband and I, my husband's student loan is one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. We've been paying on it since 2014, but we can't make the payment. We have to do the, based off of our income, we have to, mm-hmm. it's just paying the interest. So it's not going down. So if we only get $10,000 relief on it with the interest, it's just going to come right back on. We'll never get out of this. Yeah. It will be like he never helped us at all in any kind of way. So I was just going to ask you if you would, um, next time you... Um, have one of your political uh, people on, on as a guest, if you would bring that up to them, because it's a real problem. I don't know of anybody that has less than uh, um, $10,000 or less in a student loan. That's for sure. So what do you think about this? I, I agree. Deborah. I think that what we need to do is go to the largest construct or frame possible for this conversation as a nation, not you and me, but as a nation. And mm-hmm. just like uh, you know, Bernie has been saying, and, and progressives have been saying, all the way back to, to Harry Truman and Franklin Roosevelt, um, that health care should be a right, not a privilege. Well, once you establish something as a right, then a whole bunch of things fall into place. Education mm-hmm. should similarly be a right, not a privilege, just like it is in every other developed country in the world. The United States is the only country in the developed world where people can go into that kind of debt just to get a college education. Literally, we're the only country where that's possible. In Denmark, they pay you $600 a month to go to college. And, oh, my God, that'd be so it, helpful. The exact opposite. Yeah, because, they could, because here in the United States, we don't consider education a right. We consider it not just a privilege, but also an opportunity for somebody to make some money, And you know, which is kind of the, the American mantra, right? Somebody's got to make a buck. And that's wrong. It should be part of the public good. It should be considered our intellectual infrastructure, uh, our, our educated young people and old people, for that matter, should be considered as much a part of our educational infrastructure as our roads are our transportation infrastructure. And once you get that education is a right, not a privilege, then you get that it's absurd and obscene that anybody is in debt over education, that we should we have $1.5 trillion worth of student loan debt in the United States. Sounds like a lot of money. It Just by coincidence, is the exact same amount of money that Donald Trump gave in tax breaks back in 2017 to billionaires in the United States. If we can give billionaires $1.5 trillion in tax breaks, why can't we forgive all the student debt in the United States? And right, you know, I've right. held this position from, from the get-go, and I continue to hold it. Um, I have kids with student debt. I know what you're talking about. Um, I know. Can I say something? I, I have a friend real, whose student debt. Go ahead. Real, real quick, quick. It, it would it would free us up so much. It really would. It, yes. I mean, because this is like a slavery kind of thing. With music, it, it would stimulate the economy. It would stimulate the economy. People could buy houses. People could start start oh, businesses. I, they, I mean. It's a vital thing, Deborah. It really is. Deborah, I will continue to push your cause. I promise. Tom Hartman here with you. Viagra for your brain used to be a slogan for our program. Now that we know that, that one of the side effects of getting COVID for men is impotence, probably for the rest of their lives, maybe it's time to retire that. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's a, 
I don't mean to laugh. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking about if you want a message to Republican men that they need to be careful about not getting COVID, I think the, the best message is, do you really want to have to take Viagra for the rest of your life? Uh, because that, <laughs> that's where COVID will lead you. And it's, there actually is nothing funny about it. Charles in Elkhart, Indiana. Hey, Charles, what's on your mind? One thing I wanted to say was the South has been kind of teed off ever since uh, the end of slavery because uh, they haven't had as many millionaires per capita since then. Uh, that, that just, that just yep. blew, their, blew their whole boat up. And it seems to me, logically speaking, you know, spread the wealth around, you'll have less people come time of emergencies like uh, be it natural disasters, man-made, what have you. You have less people being affected economically if there's more wealth spread around. At least that's from my perspective. Anyway, yeah. you know, so the guy that called earlier and was complaining, I'm like, and I was really listening. What really tripped me out was him licking the finger that comedy made about they were so poor they would um, <laughs> drive to KFC to lick the fingers of somebody. I'm like, yeah, really? Well, my ancestors uh, were, I come from slaves. And uh, I've read a lot of things. And one of the things I read about, matter of fact, Frederick Douglass, I believe it was, spoke about they would pour mush into a trough for the, um, at the time, you know, the Negro to eat. Mm -hmm. You'd have to fight each other to, to get whatever you can out of the trough. I'm sorry. My behind bleeds for you. some of these white guys. understand this. I'm not overgeneralizing. But some of these white guys complain about, you know, sharing. You know, I'm like, really? Yeah. You're complaining? And money and whatnot? I'm just and not hearing it, dude. Yeah, my ancestors, yeah. centuries, centuries of this nonsense, centuries. And when blacks did make any type of upward mobility, they destroyed those communities. So my question to him would be, what did your family do when black people had successful areas? A lot of at some of the areas that they, they, they run down and Trump and all these people talk about so badly now, when these were areas were better and they got rioted, because that's, you know, we know like who Tulsa. originated. Yeah, exactly. And there were other places, including what, uh, D.C. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say a yeah. Atlanta, yes, sir. Okay, so what exactly did your ancestors do when black people were trying to do better, and they were doing it under really bad circumstances? They weren't getting the bank loans like white people were, getting the home loans. The, you know, what did your ancestors do to let them kind of bring themselves up so, you know, they wouldn't need as much as they did? But no, they sat back and let these places get destroyed, and black people, had to, they've never rebuilt anything. So that, that's pretty much what I wanted to say. I, I just think if they spread the wealth around, it'll be better for everybody. I'm I'm not mad at any billionaires or rich people. I'm not into that. I work for what I get. But let's get real here. You know, spread the wealth around, less people need it. That's just simple to me. Thank you, Tom. Yeah, I'm with you. And and this is the thing. We And your point, Charles, was, was so good that if you've got a strong middle class, if you've got a strong working class, if, if people have a little bit of money, I mean, right now, more than half of America, I mean, before the pandemic, more than half of America could not deal with a $1,000 expense. It would wipe them out. Half of America. That's crazy. And then the pandemic comes and, you know, and you've got literally millions of people who have no jobs at all. And after the Trump White House, I, I just, you know, I'll, I'll get back to your calls right after the break, but I just want to make this point. The Republicans in the House and the Senate and in the White House in 2017, three years ago, 
passed a one and a half trillion dollar tax cut for millionaires and billionaires and big corporations. 84% of those benefits went to the top 1%. Turns out it was actually about a two and a half trillion dollar tax cut when you consider the long-term consequences of it. So now Democrats in the House and Senate are saying, you know, we've got Americans who are literally hungry. One of the headlines I saw this morning, shoplifting of food is exploding across America. People are hungry. And so what does uh, Mitch McConnell say? Yeah, we'll give one and a half trillion dollars, $1,500 billion to the billionaire class, but we won't spend more than $40 billion to bail out Americans. And that doesn't even really extend unemployment. And we don't want to give them any extra checks. We don't want to give them any extra money because, hey, if you do that, average working people won't be quite as terrified and they won't necessarily be willing to work for seven bucks an hour. Or, you know, hey, screw them. Our loyalty, Mitch McConnell says, is exclusively to the multimillionaire and billionaire class. This is so friggin' obscene. And he's also saying, oh, and by the way, we won't even give you that $40 billion, that, that pittance, if you don't make it illegal for people to sue their employers. This is just incredible. You know, this headline uh, over on in the Washington Post, White House proposes dramatically lower unemployment benefit in exchange for $600 stimulus check. And they're not talking about $600 a week. They're talking about one check for 600 bucks. It's mind boggling. It's just, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm just aghast. Why is America not just going, what the hell? You gave a trillion dollars to the billionaires and you won't give us $40 billion? One trillion is a thousand billion. For people who are not familiar with the math, a trillion dollars is a billion dollars a thousand times. So they gave a thousand billion dollars to the billionaires in one year, and they won't give $40 billion to unemployed people in the United States right now, where they only want to give $40 billion, which would be a one-time $600 check for everybody and a, about a month's extension of unemployment benefits. Obscene doesn't begin to describe this. Joan in Rochester, Minnesota. Hey, Joan, what's on your mind? Well, I was thinking about these billionaires and trillionaires, in, and I was thinking about the Japanese uh, businessmen, and I remember reading at one point that the Japanese owners understood that they wouldn't have a penny in their pockets if it wasn't for all those hardworking people that work for them every day. And so they paid them they paid themselves commiserate with what they thought their value was against the uh, people that worked for them. And so what they paid the people was far more and themselves far less than the, what the guys do in this country. And so I think because they knew that the money came from the work of the people. So I think it's about time these big shots understood that all these millions of people in this country that go out and work and save every day so they don't have to do anything but sit and spend their money should do a little bit of thinking about it because on that TV show that shows the bosses going to work in their companies, they 
couldn't even compete and know anything about the the work that their people do for them. So it's about time there were some changes, and those guys should be ashamed of themselves and make some changes that help the people that put the money in their pockets. That's all I got to say. Amen. I'm with you. And right now, one in five children in America is going to bed hungry. One in five. We used to be the richest nation in the world. If you take the billionaires out of the equation, we're nothing close any longer. They have sucked up much of the money. And if you look at the developed countries around the world, look at the 34 other countries in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the OECD countries. That's the rich countries club. We have the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world. Women dying in childbirth. We have the highest child death rate in the developed world. We have the highest poverty rate in the developed world. In the South, in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana, we have, we have entire communities who are experiencing hookworm epidemics. Why hookworm? Well, hookworm, how did we get rid of hookworm back in the day? Flush toilets. We have families in the United States who are still using outhouses. We have, or whose, uh, who's, uh, you know, town sanitation systems just don't work. We have deep poverty in the United States that you will not see in Japan. You will not see in Germany. I lived there for a year. I traveled all over the country. Even the poorest parts, even the, the quote, ghettos in Frankfurt. Nothing. I mean, they're, they're, here in the United States, we call them lower middle class communities, working class communities. You don't have that kind of poverty in France. You don't have that kind of poverty in Norway. I've traveled all over the country. You don't have that. I've, I've traveled all over Sweden and fin, Finland and Denmark. You don't have it just it's here. That's it. And it's because of these republic or these I should say conservative so-called conservative policies. Um, these class warfare policies that have been, um, you know, laid on us for years and years and years. Harlow in uh, Pocatello, Idaho. Am I saying that right, Harlow? Pocatello. Yeah, it's an old Indian chief's name. Pocatello. I'm a, a truck driver, and I'd like to re- kind of rebuttal against Steve. And is we we can't have people making billions of dollars and, and calling them evil. But I made a delivery in Jackson, Wyoming. And they were surprised I was there for some reason and they told me I'd lucky to get unloaded because they're having trouble getting people there to work because the rent and housing is so much that the nearest place that people will drive is 30 miles to work and this is in Jackson Wyoming where you've got to go over the Teton Pass one of the tallest passes in the and steepest passes in the country during the winter to work the guys like we're having trouble keeping workers because, you know, we can't pay them enough to find housing here in Jackson, Wyoming. Right. And really, that should be rephrased. uh, We won't pay them enough. Isn't that really what they're saying? It might be that this was a beer, BC, an alcoholic beverage warehouse Mm. that I was delivering to. So they might not have had the money, but it goes to the point where all the wealthy people living there, because it's kind of a rich playground like Aspen, just not as popular because it's in Wyoming, most likely. All the wealthy people there, the property taxes there are so high that the housing costs 
are astronomical. You you got to be making oh. twenty bucks an hour to afford housing there. So you've got a bunch no. of very very wealthy people who have moved there because you know it's remote, it's beautiful, they have privacy, and presumably there's very very low income taxes in Wyoming. They're building their mansions around Jackson and presumably Jackson Hole. That's what I'm I'm familiar with. Is driving up the local property taxes, which is damaging the local economy. Is that the bottom line? What you're saying, Harlow? They don't call it Jackson Hole no more. They call it Jackson. Yep. This is it's just another example. I've drove across this country, and, and it's pretty much the same everywhere. You go into some place where the wealthy, they want to push everyone else out. They don't want yeah. to deal with the serfs. You need to get out away from our castles, is their attitude. And that's why it we seems, can't have it people. Seems to be. I remember a line from the movie Patriot you know, when we about the revolution. Why should I trade one tyrant 3,000 miles away when I'm going to get 3,000 tyrants one mile away? And that's what's going on in America. We're getting people that are so wealthy that, like Donald Trump, thinks he can do whatever he wants because he's got the money to get out of it. And that's what's going yeah, on in the country. Of and, and impunity. That's my point about having people so wealthy that they can buy their way out of whatever they've done. This is also becomes a social problem if you look at the Equality Trust in the UK. I think it's equalitytrust.org.uk. Um, but it's easy, easy to do with a search engine. They show that the more unequal a society is, in other words, the richer the rich people are, the poorer the poor people are, the more you have social ills that don't seem to have anything to do with poverty. Less political engagement, more political radicalism, higher teenage pregnancy rates, more sexually transmitted diseases, more suicides, more homicides. You get all these social problems as a result just of inequality, and it's because people feel it. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. We are born wired as social animals. We are born wired for society and sharing, not greed and keeping. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. John in Eugene, Oregon, watching us on Free Speech TV. Hey, John, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, listening to this tax discussion, and I'd like to throw out a, you know, a terminology that you don't really hear, but call it the total family taxation rate. In other words, what's the total rate that a, a typical family pays in taxation versus always making the discussion about income tax? 
you just take a, a typical family and a very wealthy, high, high, uh, high wealth family, and you total all of the taxation that a typical family has, say, property tax, sales tax, insurance premiums, which are really a tax, state taxes, what percentage of their total income do all of those taxes add up to be, you know, and you come up with very high percentage rates. So you realize, geez, uh, here's a typical family, they're paying at a 45% taxation rate here. And then you compare Mm -hmm. that to the uh, family that, uh, you know, has uh, millions and millions of dollars in stock holdings. And what is the percentage of tax that they actually pay? And you find that it's much lower than than what uh, what what a uh, typical working family pays, you know, because you know the wealthy family that owns uh, you know owns a bunch of stuff has a lot of wealth. They don't have to take income. They don't take money out of their businesses. That's called income. They just go down to their friendly banker. And uh, say, I'm going to put up my stock portfolio for collateral. Give me a million dollars and I'll pay you back at 3% interest, you know. Gets into your discussion with uh, Dr. Wolf about why wealth has to be taxed, like uh, in your property tax example that you mentioned. This is derived from conversations I used to have with my neighbor who was pretty far on the right. He termed everything in terms of income tax, and his argument was, well, you know, you know, wealthy people pay, you know, 50% income tax. Some people don't even pay any income tax at all, you know, and so the right seems to have, you know, predicate like Donald the whole argument. Yeah, yeah, they predicate the whole uh, taxation argument on income tax, which is faulty. I'd like to see more conversations based on total family taxation rate. And add yeah, up I, I agree, John. Things. And the Economic Policy Institute has done some great research on that. And you can find charts and graphs and stuff over on their website. I'm pretty sure it's epi.org, but I could be wrong. So plug their name into, into DuckDuckGo instead. But you're absolutely right. The average working family in the United States is paying a higher tax rate than your average multimillionaire or billionaire by a long shot. And also, if you make over $130,000 a year, you no longer pay taxes on your Social Security or Medicare. You no longer pay FICA taxes, which is nuts. It's nuts. The billionaires aren't paying the same tax rate you and I are. I mean, it's just plain old flaming nuts. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's up? There actually appears to be a sweet spot for the top tax bracket of between 55 and 66%. It's a level that I don't think we've ever been at. It seems like everybody tries to avoid that, but clearly it uh, it, it appears to be quite a, um, what I'm, just what well, I'm that's, saying. That's kind of the average top tax rate across Scandinavia, isn't it? That I don't know, but what I do know is that when Hoover raised taxes just before he got out of office, it was about eight, eight months before he left office, he raised it to around 50%. That got us out of the Great Depression. George H.W. Bush, when he was in recession, also raised taxes just a little bit on the rich. That got us, got us out of recession. We've never had a recession following a tax increase on the rich. We've had multiple recessions when Republicans cut taxes on the rich. And again, so long as you're moving towards that 55 and 66 percent, you actually have a great economy. And that's what happened when yeah, Johnson I- lowered taxes from that 90 percent plus down to around 72 percent. He never had a recession. 
But every Republican who has ever cut taxes, all of them had recessions, every single one of them. Yeah. Yeah, I am with you, Larry. My recollection is that Denmark's top tax rate is either 54 or 56 percent. I could be wrong. Might be a little higher than that. But that's what I've been saying all along is that when your top tax rate every and you can look at this in country after country after country around the world, including the experience of the United States, when the top tax rate goes above 50 percent, that seems to be the magic number. When it goes above 50 percent, that's the point. It's kind of a psychological trigger. And what it does is it slows down the feeding frenzy. When you drop the income tax rate at the very top for very wealthy people, when you drop that income tax rate, you set off a feeding frenzy. At that point, oh, the taxes have gone down. I can take more out of my business. I can uh, I can pay my employees less. I don't have to fund my company anymore. As you point out, Larry, it leads to recessions. It damages the economy. It damages working people. And the only people who benefit from it are the are the Republican Party's donor class, period. You know, well said. Larry, thank you. That's brilliant. Courtney in Brooklyn, New York. Hey, Courtney, what's up? I just want to make a holistic point about your about the Reagan conversation and the points you made there and your conversation with Richard Wolf. Just want to say the purpose of wealth and accumulating massive wealth in the past was shore up the economy, ensure the stabilization of the economy. And that was the reason for the high corporate tax, the 91% and everything. And the reason, the tactical reason behind the reduction of the taxes was to shift the support of the economy from the wealthy and the super wealthy, the working class economy, which in turn, leading up to now, is what's destabilizing the economy and negatively affecting the equity in the working structure. When it comes to really wealthy people, the motive behind this is personal wealth. Before, wealth, wealth was made because the, the business was successful. It was able to continue, and the wealth made was to serve the economy in which you made the points, building schools, building roadways. That's shoring up the economic structure. That's shoring up society and the continuity of it. For whatever, um, for whatever selfish reason, the, um, the politics and everything, the Reagan era, and 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 after that, they're shifting they're shifting the the um the pressure and the, and and the weight of shoring up the economy by re, um by reducing the tax rate to stress the working class people. It's just a holistic point um culminating everything that you were saying. Your conversation with Richard Wolf, all the all the points that these other calls callers are making, is just it's just laying it out there. So just you know just adding to your point and. You know, um, there's there's definitely a disconnect um, in society every day, all the way up to politics, with the uh, with the with the Trump office, and you know, um, him trying to overturn the election. It's a it's a it's a, it's a it's a great psychological disconnect. Just wanted to yeah. say that. And and yeah, and let's be very clear: the reason that Republicans cut taxes is not because they think it's good for the economy. There is literally no evidence of that. Absolutely. The reason, and I'm talking about income taxes here, the reason on wealthy people, not on, you know, cutting taxes on working people actually will stimulate an economy. Cutting taxes on wealthy people, no, it hurts the economy. But the reason they do it is because the donor class gives them money in exchange for those tax cuts. It's that simple. Hillary in Bernie, Texas. Hey, Hillary, what's on your Hi. mind? Apropos of Elon Musk moving to Texas, he'll probably buy a nice big ranch and he probably won't be paying property tax because Texas 
has what they call an ag valuation. So any big ranch, you pay virtually nothing if you throw some cattle on it. I live next door to a very large banking family who have 535 acres. They pay $15 a year on that 535 acres. So you take your house. Yes, in property taxes. So you take the house uh, on one acre, and that would be taxed normally. And then the buildings are taxed as buildings. But the rest of the land is taxed as un- in agricultural value. You don't even need to own the cattle yourself. You lease the land to somebody for a dollar a year, and that person puts their cattle on your land. Isn't that? I mean, it's so. Well, it's a scam if you have the money. It's if you're a farmer and you're legitimately, you know, farming peanuts or whatever. But it's it's these huge yeah, ranches that, that these mega rich people buy, and they don't they don't they're not even they don't even own the cattle you're putting on them, you know. Or yeah. so, and there's 21 different categories of ag valuation from whether you're putting cattle on it or whether you have crops on it. So he'll pay a regular value on his one acre with his colossal house, whatever it be, and virtually nothing on the rest of it. Thank you. Jamal in Chattanooga, I wanted to squeeze you in. We only have 20 seconds, Jamal. Make your point real quick, please. Yo, Tom, word up. Appreciate it. Love your show. Hey, man, have you thought about how this uh, defund the red state going to disproportionately affect white people, man? You got to evacuate us out of here before you start doing stuff like that. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I think it'll force the red states to start taxing their own millionaires and billionaires. That's, the, you know, because they have no choice, right? We ain't really got no power. We've been disenfranchised, you know what I'm saying? So if you start getting them to do stuff like this, we're going to catch it. Thank you. Point made, and I get it, and I hadn't thought about that, and I really appreciate you bringing it up, Jamal. I will add that into my notes here. Thank you. Thank you. I'm telling you, I got the smartest listeners on earth. It's just amazing. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding right your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader